Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thrive Podcast. It has been a minute, and I am super excited to be back on here with you guys. If you were an OG listener, welcome back. I'm so happy to have you here. And if you are a new follower or listener, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with Sarah Davidson James. Yes, I am Sarah Davidson James, and on this podcast, you are going to be learning everything from up leveling your health, learning how to thrive in your own skin, and build the skills you need to live life to the fullest. Now, I'm super excited for today's episode. We have got our first ever interview guest on the podcast. Her name is Kirsty. She is a hormone health coach and specialist. She practices in functional medicine, and we had some great chats today around things to support your hormonal health, some disruptors that you might not even be aware of with your hormones. And at the end of it, we do give you some easy takeaway tips so that you can start implementing and supporting your hormones today and have it be a little less overwhelming. We chatted about so many different topics here. I am so excited to share all of them with you. So So, if this is something that you're interested in, make sure you tap that follow button so you never miss another podcast episode again. Now let's get into it. Welcome, Kirsty. I'm so excited to have you on here. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, I know we've been following each other a little bit on Instagram and both in the hormonal health space. So I'm super excited to have you on here to talk more in depth about hormone health, the struggles women are facing now, and a bit of controversy over one of the last posts that you had. I think it was over a week ago now. Mm, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk all things hormone health because I know we're both super passionate about it. So yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe before we jump into it, what would be kind of like the quick intro Cole's notes of what you do, say if someone was meeting you for the first time and had never heard of you before? Yeah, okay. So my name's Kirsty and I run Natural Rays, which is a well-being consultancy. And I work with individuals and organizations around hormone health. And it is specifically for women and those that menstruate. So from everything from menstruation to menopause and like everything that kind of comes in between, you know, fertility, perimenopause, you know, we go through so many hormonal phases. So yeah, that is it in a nutshell. And my background is from a functional medicine perspective. So I'm a functional medicine health coach. And that really is to help people understand the root cause of their issues so that they can finally understand what's going on for them and to actually put meaningful, sustainable lifestyle strategies in place to actually help. Totally. And to actually make a difference versus what I'm sure we've all been used to is the Band-Aid, putting different pills on types of things and then saying, okay, you're good. And then a few years down the line, we realize things actually end up getting a lot worse. Exactly. Yes. Totally. So what got you interested in hormone health specifically in the first place? Because I find a lot of us usually come from a space of having had struggles ourselves and then having to find our own root cause to then wanting to help other prevent other people from going through the same thing. Yeah, it's exactly that. So I, you know, when we were talking offline, you know, my, you know, I spent five years in university studying to, to be a town planner. So I worked in development. So in the construction industry for over 10 years, and I did that in the UK and in Australia. And it was through my own hormonal struggles that I essentially went on a hormone healing journey myself. But interestingly, I didn't know it was my hormones because I didn't have any period related symptoms. So I, nothing was wrong with my period apart from it being very light, which was not a problem for me. Um, so it took me actually a long time to realize that it was my hormones that was causing my acne, my fatigue, my brain fog, my low sexual desire. You know, I searched around for a long time just using skincare products to try and deal with the acne and, you know, just taking supplements to try and help with the energy, because I think that that's how most of us kind of try to deal with ourselves for a number of years. And it wasn't until living in Australia and actually having exposure to a different way of healing like the the area that I was living in in Sydney Australia there's a lot of naturopathic doctors there's a lot of intricative um medicine and I just there was no exposure to that where I grew up in the UK so that really opened my eyes to a different 
way to heal ourselves. So I went on my own journey. And obviously as women, like especially in a gym, I was training in a CrossFit gym. We ask each other, like, what's going on with you? Like your skin has gone from being like really inflamed to like hardly having any breakouts. So you just naturally start talking about it and realizing, wow, I could talk about this forever. So it was kind of when I left Australia, I decided, okay, I'm not going to work in development anymore. It's actually contributing to the issues, the stress, the burnout, just not actually living my purpose. And I think that that underlying kind of caused me a lot of stress. So then getting back to the UK, I completely retrained. And that's where I decided to go down the route of the functional medicine health coach option. So yeah, that's basically how it happened. And yeah, I just, and I know that I think you share this as well, like actually being grateful for that journey, actually being grateful for those things that I struggled with. And, you know, my self-esteem really took a nosedive when I was struggling with the acne, but I am so grateful for it now because it has got me here doing something that I'm so passionate about. So, yeah. Totally. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, I kind of wanted to highlight that because I think, and it sounds like you're very aligned in that too, in terms of saying that out loud and on social media is having the gratitude, not coming from a toxic positivity space, but I 1000% would not be living the life that I have now, even just health-wise, not even looking at anything else, had it not been for the two chronic illnesses that I got, because it forces you to be accountable for your health. It forces you to stay on track. And sometimes we need a bit of that negative motivation to say, hey, like, I know what this looks like because I've been down this path and it is way better to live this style of life. And for that, I'll forever be grateful. I would probably still be dealing with stomach pains had it not gotten so bad for years. And I think some people do, if it doesn't get so severe, they deal with these kind of like underlying low grade, low quality of life issues for years. And it's just so sad. (laughs) Yeah. And that is so true. Like recently I have sort of stepped more into openly sharing that it was the acne, that whole vanity, you know, it was impacting me so much, so much the way that I looked, it was impacting my body confidence that that was the reason that I went on the journey. If it had just been the fatigue on its own, even though it was so bad that I couldn't get through the day without needing to take a nap at work, that acne was the driving force behind it because it really impacted me day to day, you know, waking up, looking in the mirror. It's the first thing that you're reminded of. So I exact, I completely resonate with what you're saying in that would my journey have been different if it was just those other those other issues I think I yeah it probably would be really different it would be different and yeah exactly what you've said is that looking at it through that lens of gratitude and it's it did happen for a reason and I can see that now like if you'd have told me my 28 year old self you know this is you know this is going to be a positive thing I would have 100 percent not believed you and I'd 100% not believed you that I would you know be leaving the house without makeup because that's how bad it was to me I'd go to my like CrossFit class in the morning with a full face of foundation on because I was so self-conscious to so to be sat here now being like I'm actually grateful for my acne I can't quite believe it Yeah, totally. And I think it's important also to highlight the struggles, kind of that journey for people to say, hey, it's possible too." and building that dream and vision. I had the same thing with acne as well. For me, the fatigue is what I think it was just a combination of everything. But I do remember acne because I don't know about you, but I'm not a big makeup person. I enjoy putting it on. I enjoy having the choice of putting it on. But when things got really bad right before I got diagnosed, it was the same thing of dealing all of a sudden adult acne everywhere. And I was like, I didn't deal with this much acne even as a teenager. And I felt that same insecurity of having to put makeup on because I felt insecure. And it was like, that was... I had never felt anything like that before. And so I definitely can now resonate with other women going through that same thing of like, oh, I feel the need to put on makeup. This isn't a fun thing to do anymore. Yeah, it's just exactly. And I think coming to it as like an adult, exactly the same, didn't struggle as a teenager. I think I kind of got away with it sort of scot-free. 
you know, there was other people going through it and like having to go on Roaccutane and a lot of things in those teenage years. And I just sort of like coasted through it. And then obviously in your late twenties, then like, right, okay, now I'm being punished for not having gone through it as a teenager. Totally. And then the conversations, it sounds like with the fatigue as well, is I feel like we can so easily convince our minds that it or convince ourselves that it's our minds that are the problem with fatigue. I just need to sleep a little bit more. Why am I so lazy? Why am I doing this? And I see that so much, especially in kind of like burnout culture or whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. we can just say, oh, I just need to do this. Why am I? And like this almost self-hatred stuff. And so it can really be masked and disguised for quite a long time. And then even with acne, it's still, I, I roll my eyes now looking at like commercials and stuff online where like, this is the perfect skincare for your acne. And you're just like, no wonder people are confused. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that was me all over. It was like, well, it's on my skin. So therefore the treatment for it must be to put it onto my skin. And now now I'm on the other side and learning what I've learned about environmental toxins and endocrine disrupting ingredients. I am like, wow, for years, I was on a hamster wheel with acne because I was using really harsh ingredients on my skin that were designed, you know, marketed towards acne that I now know actually impact not only the skin barrier, which is going to make us more susceptible to breakouts and you know, dry skin and things that actually contribute to acne. But also there's a number of, you know, ingredients in those products that was contributing to my hormonal imbalance. That's why I talk about it as like a hamster wheel because I didn't even know that I was on it and I was keeping myself on it. So that's why on the other side of this now, I am so passionate about the topic of endocrine disrupting ingredients and environmental toxins, because I really do feel that it is probably one of the lesser known talked about things when it comes to talking about hormonal imbalances. Um, And it's a big topic. It can be very overwhelming. So I kind of understand why. Um, But yeah, it was an absolute revelation to me when I, when I, found out about it and then put strategies into place to actually reduce the amount of those chemicals I was using. And it almost felt like within a few weeks, my skin really started to clear up when I completely changed the products that I was using from the perspective of minimizing those endocrine disrupting ingredients. So how did you first start learning about those? Because I know we're starting to see that conversation online. And I do think that's a really overwhelming topic for people. Even for myself, I'm super interested in learning more about it. But I find I'm still in the realm of like diet, lifestyle, stress and recovery. And now I'm kind of getting to the point of like, okay, I want to go, I want to deep dive into this. But I guess even before we do that, as a maybe some of uh, maybe there's some people listening that have never even heard those words before. Like what, what does that mean? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of ways people describe it. So from a hormone health perspective, there are ingredients in the products that we use every day from our cleaning products to our makeup, to even things that like flame retardants on furniture, like they're everywhere, unfortunately, that actually disrupt the normal function of our hormones. That's why they're there are certain ingredients that are defined as endocrine disrupting ingredients. So that is one sort of group of them. And they kind of come under that banner of environmental toxins. So that understanding that for me was, like I say, really key sort of missing piece of the of the puzzle. And it, when I talk to anybody about this subject, I normally say the route to kind of go down to kind of start thinking about this is thinking about fragrances so you know they're everywhere they are in everything even our foundation you know there will be a perfume a scent or something in it and the the problem with fragrances is that within that one term there will be potentially up to three thousand other ingredients that go into that fragrance and the one that is of concern which is an endocrine disrupting ingredients is a chemical called phthalates and that is something that makes 
fragrances sticky so you know for instance I don't know what you call it um like in the UK we call it fabric softener so you kind of put it into um with your laundry liquid and it makes fragrances like last like and a lot of marketing on those products is done like you know stays fresh for like weeks and that is from the plasticizing chemicals basically sticking the fragrance to the fabric or to your skin that's why it basically is able to kind of stay fresh for like multiple ways. So when somebody is new to this and they're kind of like, where should I start? I'm like, just start looking at where you see that term fragrance in the products that you use and just one by one slowly start to swap them out for products that we know are maybe still fragrance, but with essential oils or maybe unscented. You know, there are so many great options now around that so that's one main one and then you know we could get so into it but I suppose as a high level that that's really a bit of an overview of it but from a hormone perspective they impact us on many different ways and fragrance you know can impact our hormones it impacts the thyroid as well not only you know just thyroid hormone balance but you know if we think about where we spray typically fragrances we're potentially like spraying it onto our thyroid gland I never even thought about that yeah right and oh my gosh they're really interesting when you dig into it you know I never considered that the things that I was putting onto my skin and you know the amount of makeup that I was putting on and concealer body lotion they they've sort of the studies kind of say between 60 to 90 percent of what we're putting onto our skin will eventually get absorbed into the bloodstream. So it's not even like with the food that we eat, it's not even going into the gut, you know, kind of getting filtered out and then we kind of dispose of the toxins that way. It's actually going straight into our bloodstream and then our our body is incredible. So when the body is like, okay, there's a toxin in here, it will take it out of the blood and it will put it into fat deposits. So this is why a lot of those endocrine disrupting ingredients are actually a form of obesogens. So it is also something that can hinder any weight loss goals that we are going through as well, not only from a thyroid perspective, but also how our body deals with these toxins because it protects us. It doesn't want them going into the organs. So it puts them in these fatty tissues. And that is how they are known as like a class of obesogens and again like when I learned all of this I was just like mind blown like constantly like oh my gosh why why do we not know this like more like why why are we not talking about this totally and then you and then you could easily just start going down that rabbit hole of like "Mm, money what things are funded what things aren't funded and that's where I am so grateful for social media because then people that are just looking to talk about health and supporting that and we're not these massive companies can finally get some of that information and conversation out there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't realize the obesogen thing. And I think specifically for PCOS as well, so much of the narrative is struggles to lose weight. And there's obviously the category of insulin resistance. And we can target that through a lot of diet and lifestyle and a lot of just nutrition stuff, but there's other stuff going on if you're still struggling and having resistance to weight loss. And then usually the next thing I would go into is stress and recovery, but then there's this whole other category we need to start talking about, which is these endocrine disruptors and how that can make you resistant to fat loss. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that'll also just help my boyfriend switch out the lotion that he uses, but (laughs) I know. And it's tricky, right? When we go on this journey, we're literally like trying to drag people along with us. And like, you know, we're so wedded to the products that we use. Like it took me such a long time to transition from my like Dior fragrance. Like there were some things that I was so like, I just needed to hold on to them. And then eventually like, you know, the grip will loosen. Um, And there's some awesome um, documentaries out there. Like that's the one way that I say to my clients, like if you've got somebody at home that you just like to kind of get into it, maybe encourage them to like watch a documentary with you on it. Um, There's one called Stink, which was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on there. And there are a couple of others, like I think like Toxic Beauty. There's So there's quite a few like really good docos that you can watch on it that kind of then help others have the realization instead of you know 
I remember like when I first started, I was like, did you know that this, everything here is going to like do X, Y, and Z. And people are just like, oh my gosh, can you like stop? <laughs> can you stop doing that? So it's trying to find the most, you know, trying to find the the reason that those people would also be interested in doing that with you as well, isn't it? Like our poor partners just get kind of like dragged along with everything that we're doing. <laughs> I know it's funny because I've had some of my one-on-one clients be like, man, like your partner must be so lucky having like personal trainer, health coach and stuff. I'm like, I think it's kind of annoying for him sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like times where it's real annoying. <laughs> um, but I guess to kind of round out the more positive side, because I do feel that this can definitely be an overwhelming topic because then people can you know, I don't want anyone listening to this to all of a sudden either want to be like, I'm not even going to look into this because this already seems like too much or feels overwhelming and like the world is trying to kill them. What are some of like the, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the, it's not so scary positive side or like, I'd love to hear your tips around like, I am attached. I love perfumes. I love my laundry smelling nice. I'm slowly mm-hmm. working my way. Like I was thinking today, literally doing my laundry this morning of getting a tennis ball and getting some essential oils instead things like that. Like what are some of those easy switches that you made? And it sounds like this has been done over time. This isn't the, you guys need to immediately get rid of this. Otherwise you're going to die tomorrow kind of thing. No, exactly. And like when I talk to my clients about this, it is a module in my course. And I'm like, look guys, this is like an ultra marathon. Okay. Like this is something that we do gradually over time and we build on it. So it's just kind of looking around and thinking, okay, what's the next thing that I'm going to need to top up at home and just thinking, okay, is there a different alternative that I can look out for? It doesn't mean there are a few different types of people in this world, right? There are those that are going to go, right, oh my God, everything needs to go and I'm going to replace everything immediately. And then there are those that are just going to do little bit, little bit by little. And it's also about where you feel most ready, isn't it? Like look at where you feel most ready to, to make a bit of a switch so that would be the one thing that I would look at is like where where's the op- where's the next opportunity for you to kind of just look into some alternatives and also in terms of you know thinking more positively about our health but also the health of our planet also a lot of those brands that use more natural ingredients or ingredients you know they they move away from those ingredients that they know are disruptive to our health are typically those that also care for the environment so it kind of can marry a few of our values together um and often you know a lot of my clients are like this seems really expensive initially because the outlay can seem a little bit more but actually when we do a little bit of research for instance like one of my favorites is like switching like shower gel which comes in a plastic bottle to a bar of soap which is going to last way longer it's much more cost effective so things like that and also like what you said is you know getting some essential oils like it doesn't mean that you have to miss out on having a home that smells really nice. Like there are so many alternatives now, even to the point of like, especially at Christmas time, you could even put some water on your stovetop with some like cinnamon sticks, some cloves, you know, the herbs that you have in the house, like rosemary, you know, orange peel, and just leave that kind of simmer. And that will smell amazing as well. Like I'm not saying like all of these tips are for everyone, but there are just, there's just little ways and things that we can do that will start to have a big impact over time. And it's like any journey. And I'm sure you share this a lot with your clients. It's like one small step at a time, consistently over a period of time, when you look back in two to three months time, you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe that at the beginning, I was feeling X, Y, Z, but now look, I've switched out like two or three products in my home or I've done X, Y, and Z. Totally. And it's all about starting. That's kind of the mantra I always use with clients is like ready, willing, and able, like start where you're ready, willing, and able to change. Cause if you're at this point where you're like, I absolutely love perfume and I am so not ready to give it up, then like, don't start there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's another tip actually, as you reminded me, it's like, if you absolutely love your perfume and I get it, spray it on your clothes, you know, avoid spraying it directly onto the skin, onto that thyroid gland, put it onto your clothes, put it actually into the bottom of your hair. Like I always find that this is a good tip. So when somebody comes in for like a hug or, you know, a kiss, like the hair can smell really nice as well. So that's just, just little gradual ways to kind of slowly move 
move towards those goals. Totally. That is, uh, that is awesome. That is some great tips. And I feel like it, that way it seems so much more manageable and it's not just like, okay, everything's about to kill me. And cause I find a, a lot of times we can easily just like, I'm just not going to do any of it then because this is too. Absolutely. <laughs> we get, you get so overwhelmed. Like uh, this is me to the core as well. Like even though I'm a health coach, whatever, if I am overwhelmed and there are too many options, I will either procrastinate on it and I'll just think, ruminate, think about it for a really long time. Or I'll just kind of like freeze and just be like, I'm just going to block that out. I'm not going to think about it. But as we all know, it's going to come back around. So it's again, it's just taking that one small action step to like move in that direction. Totally. Awesome. Cool. I love that. Thank you for talking all about that. It's it's so important and kind of um, to switch gears now, because the main topic I actually wanted to bring you on the podcast for <laughs> Um, you had a bit of a controversial post, um, on social media. I think it was last week in relation to the birth control pill. Um, mm. so I'd love to hear kind of your rendition of it. I think this is a really important thing that we should kind of be hashing out and getting in some longer format content online. Cause we're kind of restricted with a couple minute videos on social media. So I, yeah, yeah. tell me about this controversial birth control topic. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so a bit of context, this was a presenter in the UK um, who's been doing like amazing work in the menopause space. She has been bringing the conversation of peri and menopause right into the forefront. It's been on a lot of really popular TV shows in the UK. And, you know, I think she's doing really great work in that space. But around the conversation of perimenopause, she's also been talking a lot about um, contraception, different forms of contraception and as she was on this journey she she did a specific um I'll mention it's Davina McCall for those people that might know her um she did a very specific program for channel four which was around hormonal birth control and like some really great things that she said was very much like hormonal birth control or birth control options in general for women hasn't changed since its evolution in like the 1970s and a lot of things that came from it, a lot of other celebrities spoke up about it and were saying like how barbaric some of the options are, like the coil, for instance. Um, but the particular topic that she was talking about was about how, you know, when we're taking hormonal birth control, particularly the pill, we are told to have that seven day break to have a period. And I remember this as somebody on hormonal birth control for 10 years being told you have to take this seven day break so you have a period. I'm like, this is great. I'm still like having a period, but I'm protected. You know, I'm being really grown up, da, 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 da. I can travel when I have it, but I still have my normal period. Exactly. And like, you know, as a 15 year old, like going on the pill, all I really understood about my body at that time was a period. I didn't really know much about ovulation and everything else that kind of happens in our menstrual cycle. It was just like, okay, I'm having a period therefore I'm not pregnant you know that that's all I kind of realized as like all I knew and all I cared about as a teenager and probably into my early 20s as well so Davina was then talking about on a tv show how she learned that you don't need to have the withdrawal bleed so she was just saying you know I could have had so many years of not having a period you know and they the presenters themselves were kind of celebrating how awesome that would have been to basically have gone through their 20s never having a period so my take on it was I find this really damaging for women because this conversation even though it's talking about the withdrawal bleed on the pill is actually insinuating and reinforcing the belief that as women we don't need to have a period and a period follows healthy ovulation like there is no true period without ovulation and you know as somebody now that's completely retrained in this space the one thing that I've learned so much and that I stress so much to anybody that will listen to me is there are so many benefits that come from ovulation not just for our fertility whether we're trying to conceive or not but for our general well-being as women, and the more women that I work with with perimenopause, 
It is just so important for us to basically ovulate as much as possible. So we are putting in the reserve for bone health, muscle health, brain health, which is going to help us as we age when those hormones naturally decline. So, you know, my take on it was this is actually a really damaging conversation for women because we are not talking about the benefits of ovulation. And, you know, as with anything, when you have such a strong opinion on social media, you get the camp, which are like 100%, I agree with you. And then you get the camp that are very much like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, and that's not what conventional medicine says. My doctor said this, my doctor said it's fine. So, you know, it was really split down the middle of like, so it was really, it was so interesting to to have that conversation around it. Yeah, totally. And I think it kind of, it goes back to that earlier conversation around what I think conventional medicine does well and what it's been set up and designed to do is to keep you alive for a short period of time. And so that's where my belief is that conventional medicine is doing well. That's where the innovation comes from, but it completely misses the mark. It's like, okay, sick. We kept you alive and you're going to stay alive. No conversation around quality of life, but like technically you don't need a period or what it like, this isn't going to be a life threatening thing or whatever it is, but it has no conversation around root cause quality of life and how we're going to live from there. And so that's where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not anti-medicine or hospital, but it's, different times for different things. And I think that's Mm -hmm. probably where, if I were to assume is where the conversation of, oh, we don't really need a period comes from if they're talking about, are you going to die if you don't get your period in your twenties based on having the pills? Like, no, but what are all the downstream impacts we're going to have on our quality of life? And that's where it just completely misses the mark. And there's no conversation at all. Cause I, I remember those conversations in the doctor's office too, And then I do even remember having the, you don't need the withdrawal bleed. So I did do those back-to-back pill packs every now and then, obviously ages ago. And Mm -hmm. I think if you were to try and argue, it's like, okay, technically that wasn't wrong based on me being on the pill. However, the whole conversation, A, being on the pill in the first place is a whole nother conversation. Maybe there's times and place where it's needed, but Mm-hmm. really not my cup of tea it's it's the whole like you said it's the whole ovulation conversation needing the menstrual cycle and not just viewing our bodies as oh are we ready to have a baby yet no just go on the pill ignore our hormones ignore all this that has the only thing our hormones are here for is like bearing children which is absurd yeah exactly and there's there's so many things that you said there that I resonate with and it's it's very much you know I think sometimes what I say can be misstrued is like, you are against conventional medicine. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like there is a time and a place and it's incredible. And our doctors do incredible work. And that especially from like a general practitioner point of view. So like in the UK, you go to see your GP, you have seven minutes allotted with them to try and tell them everything that's going on for you. And they are not a specialist in, you know, reproductive health, menstrual cycles, menopause, perimenopause, but they kind of have to. And it's, they have to use what is in their toolbox. And what's in their toolbox is hormonal birth control. And, you know, it's, it's seen as something that can help so many issues it can you know relieve so many symptoms and I am not for trying to convince somebody either way whether hormonal birth control is for them that is a complete personal choice but what my issue with it is that as women we do not have the full picture the full picture is only now starting to come out and exactly like what you said at the beginning because we are able to access different information through social media. And you bet there's a lot of conventional media outlets that are trying to shut that down and are trying to stop that conversation happening. Um, Because, you know, (laughs) hormonal birth control use is on the decline. And I think there's a reason for that is that women are starting to understand more about their biology because of these open conversations that we're able to have on social media and a lot of women are starting to connect the dots between I started x hormonal birth control and I started to feel different 
or I've been on this form of hormonal birth control for a number of years. I don't know myself off this form of hormonal birth control. Totally. And um, yeah, I was thinking like, as I started hormonal birth control, when I was a teenager, like I went behind my mom's back, I could get into the doctor's office, which again is a whole nother conversation. Cause I think that's the whole form of just wanting to prevent pregnancy. And it's again, that whole other conversation like, okay, cool. We'll just put teenage girls without their parents' consent on hormonal birth control. And that was, that was the norm. You were known that you could do that. There were sex education and sex health clinics that would provide that for you. And I think it came from a good place, but ultimately again, we don't have that conversation. And I remember going through severe depression and severe anxiety as a kid. And I think there's some predispositions there, definitely based on like family history and stuff. But like for the severity that happened, I've only now started clicking in. Like, I wonder if that had to do with the birth control as well, as well as, you know, angsty teen years and everything. And and I think Mm -hmm. that's a big thing is that we could, we always want to look for this one cause or this one causation or this one reason as to why something happened. For the most part, it's usually a bunch of things layering on top. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a great point, what you said there is often, you know, I started on it exactly the same way as you. I was like, I'm so grown up. I'm going to the sexual health clinic. I'm 15. Look at me. And not really understanding how powerful that medication was. And I, again, I think this is something that isn't talked about enough is that this is a really powerful drug it is a medication but it's just the way that it is now available to us as well and in the UK it's actually just become um possible to go to the pharmacy to get it as well you don't even need a script from your doctor anymore and whilst it is amazing that women now have control of our reproductive health and contraception again it comes at a price that I don't think we realize. And I know for a fact, if I knew what I know now as a, as a 15 year old, I probably would have made the same decision, but maybe I wouldn't have continued on for 10 years. I might have stopped in my early twenties. I might've made a different um, decision. And I'm, you know, a lot of our growth and development is happening when we're being, um, when the communication between our brain and our ovaries is being impacted by this form of hormonal birth control. So a lot of our development, like my development happened whilst I was on this hormonal birth control. And it's just the fact that, you know, it did take me a long time to realize, wow, this is having an impact on my brain. I don't even think I knew how the pill worked until my late twenties, until I decided to come off it. And I feel like, wow, that's a huge thing that I did not know about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's wild. I think there has been almost this mass exodus of hormonal birth controls of women in our generation that were like, yeah, I went on the pill when I was 14, 15, whatever it is, and then 10 plus years later. And then unfortunately, what we're seeing as well is that we come off the pill, we start to see what's going on with our hormones. And that's where so much of the PCOS diagnoses, which we're starting to see or other imbalances because it was masking the other symptoms. Even if we're not going to go into the realm of causation, we can, I think it's important to even just go into the realm of masking symptoms because the withdrawal bleed, we're being told that's a period and that's just misinformation straight up. And you can't make educated decisions if you think that you're having the exact same period that you're having on hormonal birth control as without And it just isn't the case with it, just even masking the symptoms. So for PCOS specifically or other hormonal balances, which I'm sure you've seen as well, is we just aren't seeing the symptoms of PCOS because the pill is masking it because you think you're getting your regular period on hormonal birth control. And then for me, when I came off the pill, I actually went off of it two different times. One time my period did actually come back regularly. I went back on it for about another year. Um, and then came off. And then that's when the um, hormonal imbalances really started to show light and wasn't getting a period for like 90 plus days. Mm-hmm. But staying on the pill, that's going to be mass and you're not going to be able to get that PCOS diagnosis because those warning signs just aren't going to be there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was, this, it was a similar thing for me. You know, there's a number of things that I am now dealing with as somebody that was on hormonal birth control for 10 years. Like, can I say 100%? that I would never have developed hypothyroidism if I wasn't taking hormonal birth control. No, I will never be able to know that. But there are studies that show that women that take hormonal birth control for 
a extended period of time are more likely to develop hypothyroidism. So, you know, there's far more studies coming out now about the wider impact. You know, I have had to do some serious gut healing. And again, that is linked to an extended period of time on hormonal birth control, you know, nutrient deficiencies. There are so many things that now we are starting to see that it can have those wider impacts on the body. So, you know, the acne, for instance, I changed hormonal birth control for for a number of years to try and find the right kind of mix that would help the acne. But then when I stopped taking hormonal birth control and I, t- I took a st- step back and I understood everything, I was like, again, I'm in a hamster wheel of there are certain things whilst being on hormonal birth control, I'm not able to fully take the nutrients from my food. It's compromising my gut health, which is causing acne. Like acne doesn't... N- start on the skin it starts somewhere else and more often than not that will start in the gut yeah totally and I don't think it's a coincidence it's same thing hypothyroidism was the first chronic illness I was diagnosed with and then PCOS was the second and then not to mention all of the gut healing protocols I've had to do I think anti-candida twice Mm -hmm. um and I think again there's a conversation around stress um that happens in there too but it's you know i've i've known people another friend of mine who's a health coach she came off the pill diagnosed with pcos and we're just seeing these numbers in staggering rates it's like i almost can't not have a conversation with someone that has pcos hypothyroidism some type of hormonal disruption and then we've all been on the pill for 10 plus years yeah and like you say it's it's the fallout of it now isn't it of these women that maybe are starting to think about their fertility for reasons like maybe wanting to start a family and trying to um to get their hormones back into balance or it could be for for different reasons of again wanting to know themselves off that form but i think it's no coincidence that it's this period in time that this is happening that this bigger conversation is happening with social media like it's kind of all coming to light now after having this extended period of time on it yeah absolutely and I can't help but think this is only I'll say this this is only my personal opinion but it's like are we gonna be the kind of guinea pig that there's gonna be now documentaries of maybe five ten years down the road about the hormonal birth control pill and you know the generation of women that were on it for 10 plus years Mm. Who knows, but (laughs) that's at least my personal opinion and speculation around it. And yeah, it's not to say either or of like, you must do things certain ways, but even just giving things a little bit of extra thought, trusting a little bit of that intuition. I don't know if you ever had an experience like this, but what drove me to go off of the pill, because I like on paper was the perfect candidate for the pill. I had no side effects that I was aware of. I didn't, I don't think I linked the depression and anxiety to a potential side effect back in the day, but I still continued on for years after. But like, I, I didn't really need to switch up pills. Everything was fine. I didn't struggle with any of the stuff that women, other women have struggled with on the pill or the potential side effects. Um, and the thing that got me to want to come off the pill was just this intuitive feeling and worry about fertility that was it. There was nothing more to it. That was the only thing, you know, in the conversation of why do you want to come off the pill? I just want to see what's going on with my fertility. I just have this gut feeling that this is something that I want to look into deeper. It's really important. I really want to be able to get pregnant when the time is right. And I've heard of women that have struggled for years. They come off the pill, think, okay, perfect. We should be able to get pregnant now, which is what you're told. And a lot of women with PCOS are told, go on the pill, come off when you're ready to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. What if it takes a few years? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, so, yeah, I just had that in the back of my mind where I was like, I'm going to start looking at fertility now um, when I'm not ready to have kids because I just had this gut feeling that something wasn't right. And then lo and behold, all of the diagnoses and symptoms came came coming off the pill. But I was perfectly fine, quote unquote, for those that are only listening to the audio. I was quote unquote fine on the pill. And it was just this intuitive feeling of, "Uh, I just want to see what's going on. Yeah, I was the same, like apart from the one sort of switch because I was complaining of the acne. So they sort of changed it. I don't even know like what the change was. It was still estrogen and progesterone. 
But actually, one of my friends said to me, she's like, I've just started taking, stopped taking it. And this was before I'd sort of retrained. And I was like, why are you trying for a baby? Like, that's where my mind went immediately. Oh, you must be wanting to try for a baby. And she was the one that kind of planted the seed. And she was like, I've just been on it for a long time. And I don't feel like I know myself. And then, do you know what I mean? Like that seed was planted. And I was like, that's such a great, like, observation that she had. And I was like, and then it sort of that seed sort of grew and I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm going to think about it and you know when you're in a stable relationship and you can have those grown-up conversations and you're not with somebody who's like no I don't like wearing condoms and those awful types of conversations so I was like look yeah let's try and yeah it just felt like every client that I've spoken to about my experience I said now that I look back on it I genuinely just felt a bit numb I couldn't feel the highs of life and I didn't really feel the lows either. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, just this kind of flat line of just coasting through life. And yeah, it feels different on the other side that, you know, it, I do feel the emotions. I don't just kind of feel that, that general numbness um, with things. So yeah, for me, you know, it was, it was the right decision for me. And again, like you've said, it's very much just asking the questions for yourself and for your situation and finding the right thing that works for you. And just know that there are so many resources out there to kind of give you that full picture so you can make the best decision, make the best, most informed decision for yourself. Totally. And there are so many options. I mean, I know the IUD is an option for some people that is just going to be less hormones. That's kind of like that ready, willing and able that we were talking about with fragrances where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if you're not ready to give up perfume altogether, spray it on the clothes, spray it on your hair before there are lower hormone options. They come with their different things. Like I'll, I'll be the first to say the IUD for me personally has freaked me out and I've never been able to <laughs> give yeah, it a freaks go. Me out as well. Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, again, this is not me saying any suggestions, any which way people should go, but just knowing that there's options and having a conversation ideally with a naturopathic doctor, which I understand isn't always at everyone's resource, but you know, I I do have reservations of having the conversations within the regular doctor's office. However, you know, just saying, Hey, what are my lower hormone options? They should be able to give you that type of answer, even in your regular doctor's office. And then maybe it takes a little bit extra online resource or Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever, which way. And I think also, again, this isn't definitely not medical advice, but you know, like you said, in a stable relationship, you can have that conversation of you using condoms. There's only a few days out of the month that you can actually get pregnant. And I understand this is not medical advice, but that's kind of the realm that I've been playing in with a kind of a partner. And we're kind of using in between condoms and ovulation strips. And it's been a bit of a fun journey of like learning more about the hormonal changes and seeing it change on the ovulation strips when you take them back to back and then be like, okay, this is a time we want to be more careful and using the cycle syncing apps and whatever you feel most comfortable with knowing that, especially as you're learning about your cycle, you aren't going to be an expert in it. So there's going to be a higher risk of potential pregnancy. So just having those things in mind, but also just knowing that there's options. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just get curious about what are the other options that are out there. And again, that curiosity hopefully will lead you into like, let me get curious about my cycle and understanding when I'm ovulating and and like looking out for those symptoms of ovulation, because not only is it important for, you know, trying or not trying for a pregnancy, but it is that's your overall marker of how your health is like if we are getting those juicy signs of ovulation you know it is a good signal that things are humming along nicely with our hormones as well so it's a great tool for natural contraception but it's a great tool for understanding your overall health as well yeah absolutely awesome Well, so I guess to kind of start going in the realm of wrapping things up here, because I feel like we've covered so many great topics. And I one thing I don't want for people to feel super overwhelmed and think, because I've definitely listened to certain health podcasts, even as a health coach and just gone, oh my God, where do I even start? 
So I guess if we were to kind of bring it back down to basics, say, you know, the average listener that is just new in this journey of interested in their hormones and looking to make some simple lifestyle changes, what's kind of some easy go-to advice that we could leave people with of where to start something that's reasonable and not overwhelming and kind of leave on that positive hormone note? Because there's a lot of stuff that I think we need to be aware of and cautious of, but we also don't want to get too far into the caution realm to the point of it just being overwhelming. Yeah, no, exactly. And the the things that are the most impactful, I always find, and this is something that I repeat often to myself and to my clients, is that the simple things that we are able to do consistently are the things that are going to have the most beneficial impact on our hormones. And you know, if you are working and you're interested in hormone balance, like the two biggest things to think about is managing your blood sugar. And I'm sure as somebody that works in the PCOS realm, as you've talked about, like insulin sensitivity and working for, you know, getting ourselves out of that insulin resistant state is so important. But that's important for everyone because insulin sits at the top above all other hormones so we want to manage our blood sugar and you know the best way that I can think to do that is just make sure that we're eating enough protein like when I look back at what was contributing to my issues I was intense exercising all of the time and I was not eating enough full stop I was not eating enough protein and I was not eating enough carbohydrates but because I came from a background of diet culture it was hard for me to kind of get away from that mentality of like in your calories in your food do you know what I mean so definitely more often than not when I start working with anyone I'm like actually you need to start eating more you start eating more of the right things and that is going to have a positive cascade effect on a number of things that you're impacted that you're experiencing you know the fatigue the brain fog the low mood it's going to help with your sugar cravings um so you know just a rule of thumb I like to live by is trying to eat breakfast with a good source of protein by 10 a.m. And, you know, keep um, having sources of fat and protein with your snacks as well, if you need to snack throughout the day. So just things like that. And also, I think, again, going to, you know, alongside insulin is cortisol, they kind of sit together. It's for me, it's thinking about stress management in a different way. So I always used to think of stress management of I need to sit down and meditate. I've got to go to a yoga class. But actually what I didn't realize for a a long period of time that there were a number of things that I was doing day to day that was actually causing my body a lot of stress. You know, CrossFit all of the time. That was my stress management from my stressful job. You know, I was like, I needed that release, but it was causing so much stress. So it's kind of looking just looking within yourself to be like, actually, where am I maybe causing some stress for myself? Um, And again, that comes back down to not eating enough of the right things like that is a stressor on our body. So I would just kind of say like, yeah, the basics. And again, doing them consistently is what's going to have the biggest impact. Totally. It's those small little things. I'm sure you've run into that with certain clients as well, where it's like, okay, cool. They're super excited, which is awesome. And they're like, I'm going to do six new things this month, all seven days a week. And you're like, amazing, but (laughs) is that going to be overwhelming? And it's, it's those little things of like, I know I always started that foundation of like, let's aim to get 25 grams of protein at breakfast. Like something super simple like that, because even that can be a bit of a challenge of like what protein sources or things like that. But something super simple of like 25 grams of protein at breakfast, taking a look at stressors, maybe not doing HIIT workouts five days a week. <laughs> and Don't get me wrong. Like I worked with a health coach that told me that and I was like, no, <laughs> that didn't that didn't work for me because I, it, I loved CrossFit. It was my life at the time. Yeah. Do you know, so that wasn't where I was ready to take action. But again, the, the seed had been planted. And then gradually, I was like, well, actually, maybe I should just start to slow things down a little bit. And then more restorative movements started to creep in. And I think it just came down to like my mindset. And again, I think as women, we have so many beliefs pushed onto us around diet, how we should look, 
you know and again now I think with social media it is good and bad there's a lot of pressure mm. to you know look a certain way do a certain thing wear a certain makeup so again it's kind of you know trying to push all that noise out of the way and finding what is actually really true to you and what actually brings you joy um I think that's another really quick tip as well actually because oxytocin sits above everything so if you can do more things that bring you joy you are going to counterbalance cortisol so you know things like hugging a pet smoothing a cat you know really simple things like hugging somebody doing something for charity like releasing those you know hormones like oxytocin it's going to have such a positive impact on um our stress response Totally, totally. It's those small little things, those underlying things that you don't even realize are going to have the massive impact. Because of the on the flip side, the negative stuff are having that low grade impact that starts to build up over time. So if you start to flip it on its head and kind of move yourself in the right direction. Yeah, awesome. I love it. Well, I know you have an online course. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've got an online program fully self-paced. It's called Hormone Harmony Academy. So a lot of the things that we've kind of talked about today, that is basically in there. There's lessons on all of them. So like we've talked about the environmental toxins, for instance, um, you know, stress, sleep. It's basically a self-paced program that kind of takes you step by step through the things, the foundations that you need to put into place for hormone balance and it also starts with helping you to actually understand what's going on because I feel that for me for a long time that was the missing piece so once I could kind of understand okay this is why I'm having x y and z symptoms and this is why this lifestyle strategy is going to be really impactful so it's really a foundational course around hormone health but gut health you know because everything is interlinked you know we can't have the conversation about hormone balance without then everything else coming into play you know our immune system our gut our brain all of that so yeah it's a really great place to go if you're kind of feeling a bit like overwhelmed with the noise out there about what should I do to balance my hormones it's really quite confusing and so that really is kind of like a step-by-step guide to go through and it has a really beautiful community aspect to it as well so you don't sort of feel alone on the journey because that's definitely how I felt just felt like I was muddling through on my own totally so it kind of sounds like this course is for anyone with hormones <laughs> anyone that's menstruating I think like you said in the beginning that's kind of the target market that you're speaking to and it sounds like this is what that course targets as well yeah exactly so anyone that's still menstruating but also you know those women that are maybe transitioning into perimenopause like a lot of the strategies they are still going to be really really helpful so anyone that's yeah interested in optimizing their fertility so understanding those markers of ovulation starting to feel a bit more connected to themselves but also to feel empowered with the strategies that they know it's going to help them feel like their best selves and you know if you follow me on social media you will know and this kind of conversation that we've just had here often we can leave you know any doctor's appointment feeling a little bit frustrated at the lack of support um you know we're typically only offered maybe antidepressants or hormonal birth control or maybe some other sort of form of medication. And I think deep down, going back to what you were saying about that intuition piece, deep down, we all know that there are things that we can do for ourselves that are going to have a massive impact. I just feel that sometimes we just struggle to, to know what the first step might be. So that's essentially why I created this course. I started working with clients one-to-one and you see a lot of the same things start to come up. So it's like, right, this just needs to have its own course, which is foundational, that people can just take themselves through at their own pace. It's super accessible in terms of investment, because like you've mentioned, sometimes working with different practitioners is difficult to access. So this is really that foundational piece that then if you needed to go and seek additional support. You've kind of really got that good, strong foundations in place as well. 
Oh, amazing. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for all the insight. I definitely learned a lot just through our conversation today as well. Thank you so much for having me. I know we could just carry on talking for like for hours. Totally. I was like, I already have like a million other podcast idea episodes that we could start talking about. Like we didn't even get in. I had notes here. I was like, we didn't even get into the whole CrossFit working out stuff, but yeah, there's only so long that people can listen to. Um, so your main platform is Instagram. Where yeah. is the best place to find and connect with you? Yeah. So Instagram is mainly where I'm at. So it's natural underscore raise underscore hormone underscore harmony. <laughs> nice and easy to spell out. Yeah. Um, and then on TikTok, which I've just started dabbling with, which I feel is a great platform for kind of like these open, more open conversations. And I know you are amazing on TikTok as well. So it's um, hormone harmony on TikTok. Um, but yeah, like the resources, I share a lot of free resources on Instagram. I've got a quiz where you can kind of understand how you're kind of getting in your own way when it comes to hormone balance. So definitely check that out. There's lots of free resources that I offer as well to kind of get you feeling empowered and start taking those steps. Like some of them that we've talked about here on this podcast to start to take those steps for yourself. Awesome. Cool. Well, I will be sure to put all of that in the show notes as well as I know for those of us that don't like to spell, you just want it written out. I'll make sure everything's written in the show notes as well. But um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed all of the insight that you gave. I learned so much and definitely leave some comments and questions down below. If you guys had anything that you would want us to talk about further, I would love to hear that. But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time on a late Tuesday night to chat with us. Thank you so much for having me.